Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, countries reach a historic COP28 deal to transition away from fossil fuels. In the wake of a political scandal, Japanese Prime Minister overhauls his cabinet in a bid to save his premiership. In the United States, the House of Representatives has voted to approve impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And we are going to take a look at why the Netherlands and South Korea are taking steps to step up cooperation on semiconductors. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." Participating countries at the COP28 climate summit have reached a deal to transition away from fossil fuels as part of an effort to reach global net zero emissions by 2050. The UAE consensus is asking all countries to set、uh, ambitious targets over the next two years that take into account their fossil fuel use. It also recognizes that targets should be set in light of different national circumstances, acknowledging that poor countries may find it more challenging and difficult to cut emissions than wealthy countries. And for your information, this particular final agreement came after a night of very intense consultations. Earlier, a draft document had actually dropped the calls for the phasing out of fossil fuels. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Peter Newman, professor of sustainability with Curtin University in Australia, and Professor Newman is also a lead author with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So the future role of fossil fuels has been really、uh, at the center of this year's COP28 negotiations.、Uh, in many ways, the final agreement is seen as a compromise between many different parties. So, what do you make of the document's final wording regarding fossil fuels?、Uh, this agreement is highlighting. A role for "quote unquote" transitional fuels. Some countries and some、uh, individual climate experts argue that、uh, this would mean that this particular agreement is still supporting the continued use of, say, gas.、Uh, do you think that is a legitimate concern? Well, the it, it was a bit of a breakthrough, but it seems a bit strange to outsiders. That for the first time only, fossil fuels got mentioned in a major statement like this. Up until now, it's just been we must reduce greenhouse gases, and that was taken to mean by many of the fossil fuel producers that all they had to do was get more efficient and get carbon capture to work. Which is a technology of taking the CO2 and putting it back in the ground, and all of that was brushed aside because everyone knows that we're not getting there quick enough. Lots of excuses are being made for not getting rid of fossil fuels. So it was mentioned: we must transition away from fossil fuels, and that was seen as a great breakthrough.、Um, so. When 200 countries say we must get rid of fossil fuels, then that's a, a very serious message being sent to the world's investors and every country that is trying to do the right thing. And so that is the breakthrough that was was、uh, hmm. achieved at at this COP. Twenty-eight. Okay, so this particular final agreement is being criticised by certain, you know, small island、uh, countries for being pushed through without their support. Actually, they say there is a lack of details regarding how. Uh, poor countries, in particular, with heavy debt burdens, for example, will be able to finance a shift away from the usage of fossil fuels. What is your take on this? Yeah, look, they, they were taken a bit by surprise. There was a group of them out of the room at the time that、uh, the main thing was、um, was signed off, 
and, and they eventually did sign it when they realised that it was actually a, a much better deal than they had first thought. But it's never going to be enough for them because it's uh, clearly not fast enough. And the whole world is rapidly approaching the 1.5 degree rise in temperature. So everything's getting hotter. We're seeing this in, in the weather almost every day, breaking records. Uh, and the, the the small island states in the Pacific in particular are really facing a very bleak future. They're going to be the first to, to really have to probably mm. um, mass migrate out of that area. And, and that's that's pretty difficult. So, yeah, you can understand why they want it quicker and everybody actually wants it quicker. But uh, up until now, we've not been able – we've been doing well on renewable energy. You'd have to say that is a, a striking thing. It is happening very quickly, especially in China. Mm. There has been massive increases in renewable energy. But there's not enough being done to stop the growth in new fossil fuel production in coal fields, in gas fields, particularly gas, and mm. the occasional oil field too. And those companies and places that are pushing for that growth now have to face the fact that they must begin to decrease every year, not increase. That's mm. a major breakthrough. Okay. So this accord is also um, including some contents like uh, tripling global renewable energy capacity by the year 2030 and the acceleration of the development of those low emission technologies like uh, nuclear, low carbon hydrogen and a carbon capture and storage. In this realm, Professor, especially when we say, when we talk about technological matters or industrial policies, it seems nowadays there is some element of uh, rivalry or competition between major economies. Do you think uh, such a scenario is conducive, will be beneficial when we talk about a, a global effort to accelerate green transition? Yeah, look, those three that were mentioned were a kind of throwaway little salve to, to make uh, some of the countries that were angry about this uh, this transition away from fossil fuels. The reality is <clears throat> the technology is there now with solar, batteries, electric vehicles. That's the massive uh, orientation to the new economy that's needed. The other ones about low carbon hydrogen, about nuclear, which takes mostly 20 years or so to get going, and particularly carbon capture, these are still being researched. They are not working. They're not commercial. And so there was a little bit of, okay, we'll get to work on them uh, because a lot of the uh, big fossil fuel companies are saying, look, we're working on all those things and, you know, give us time and we'll keep producing fossil fuels in the meantime. They can't do that anymore. They can't. It really is too late to any longer put off the decisions that are needed now to reduce every year from here on the amount of fossil fuels we're using and to rapidly accelerate, as mm. the commitment is, uh, you know, a massive increase, tripling of renewable energy and a doubling in energy efficiency, all possible because the trend is actually in that direction. That's a very big uh, ask. It seems like a huge ask, but in fact, we're on track to actually achieve that when you look at some of the numbers that are coming out now. it the, the reality is solar, electric vehicles and batteries combined are much cheaper than any of the options. So we just have to get on with that. And that is some of the leading countries, and China's one of them, are doing that and they're getting a much better economy. And the reality is uh, clean energy futures is a cheaper and potentially much better world for everyone. Hmm. So talking about uh, China or the Chinese perspective, as I keep following um, the, you know, the, the latest the developments of the Chinese delegation at this year's discussion, 
um, at this particular event's closing ceremony, the Chinese delegation held that COP28 has provided a general direction for the next phase of global climate action. So, what do you think this UAE consensus might mean to China? And also, uh, during COP28, we saw some uh, highlights in terms of China-U.S. interaction, for example, interaction regarding uh, methane, for example. Uh, do you think that has played a role in terms of leading to this final agreement? Yeah, look, uh, uh, the world is never going to really agree to much unless China and the U.S. agree to it. And that happened in the end. So that uh, India is a big player in there as well. Um, and China and India were hanging out there for a while, uh, just being a little less convinced about the uh, future direction. The US were pushing for it. Australia was pushing for this change. Um, and, and the US, uh, strangely enough, are one of the biggest oil and gas producers in the world. So um, they're going to have to come to terms with how they will be declining in those products and rapidly accelerating in the others. Uh, so, yeah, look, we're all on this together. Um, China has been the leading renewable energy country. They're, more than half of the world's renewable energy is in China. And that is, um, and they're also exporting most of the world's uh, photovoltaic cells and batteries. Um, and now electric vehicles rapidly coming up as a major exporter too. So it's not going to harm China to continue down that track. And uh, I think they can see now that the next economy is emerging faster after this COP28 uh, than it was. It was coming quite quickly, but this is now an absolute certainty that there is no other option now. We've got to rapidly accelerate towards uh, the 1.5 objective. We can still do it, but it'll have to be a massive acceleration in the commitments of every country. And uh, hopefully China can be one of the big leaders in this. Mm. Thank you very much. That was Professor Peter Newman. Yeah, definitely we do hope that this kind of uh, annual discussion and dialogues gathering by so many countries across the world can really actually make changes take place, make all those changes needed take place, rather than just uh, making some people or certain businesses promote their climate credentials without actually making things happen. But thank you very much for joining us. That was Peter Newman, Professor of Sustainability with Curtin University and a lead author with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has embarked on a cabinet reshuffle or overhaul as he battles to control the damage from a major scandal facing his ruling Liberal Democratic Party. Four ministers and several deputy ministers are expected to be replaced. Prosecutors have launched a criminal investigation into a faction of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party over allegations of systematically failing to report some 500 million yen or 3.4 million U.S. dollars in political funding over a period of five years. Kishida's public support has dwindled to 23% since news of this latest scandal emerged a couple of weeks ago. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Rong Ying, Vice President and a Senior Research Fellow with the China Institute of International Studies. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, at the moment, it seems uh, most of the LDP politicians affected by this latest scandal are members of the so-called Abe faction, 
which was previously, we know, headed by late Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. So, with that in mind, do you think、uh, Kishida, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, is able to somehow revamp his public image and somehow survive this latest scandal through this overhaul of his cabinet? Well, I think in a short period of time, the uh, uh, the shuffle, or because of the resignation of the、uh, these ministers,、mm. remember these are quite high profile minister, minister,、yeah. the chief cabinet minister, which is the most important、uh, minister as far as Japanese cabinet is concerned. And also, I think the minister for economic affairs, for internal communication. Um, agriculture and plus the five、uh, senior vice ministers—they are all very important、uh, profile. And so far,、uh, the I think the、uh, I agreed、uh, accept their resignation or I mean to dismiss to replace these uh, uh, ministers uh, that I mean implicated ministers. It sent a message that. Uh, Kishida Prime Minister determined. It, it also, I think, it's、uh, some kind of、uh, leadership that to manage or to dealt with this crisis.、Mm. But the question is that the we do not know the scale、uh, and extent. I mean, of this scandal. And furthermore, I think there are reports that even his own faction and other factions. Uh, uh, may have also been involved. So the、uh, mm. it was all well. We'll wait and see that、uh, how that the, how much or how how damage how many damages that has been uh, uh, created、mm. okay. for、uh, because of this guy. The last but not least, I would emphasize that this has already very much uh, I mean uh, uh, made an un sort of.、Uh, Mass unprecedented damage to in terms of the the trust and the image of、uh, Japanese politics, and most importantly, the、uh, political agenda、mm. of、uh, Kishida administration in terms of its、yeah. economic security and other important uh, uh, issues.、Mm. Especially, people are still deeply. Uh, unsatisfied with, say, the cost of crisis over there in Japan domestically. Now, some political analysts say actually the replacement of these、um, uh, ministers and other senior officials belonging to the Abe faction within the LDP can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, it can concentrate power under Kishida, but on the other hand, it might also. Serve to destabilize an administration that has so far relied heavily on the support from this、uh, so-called Abe faction. What is your observation regarding this? I think the、uh, what happened so far is certainly not I, I Prime Minister Kishida wanted to have. It's totally out of his、uh, sort of a、uh, design or out of his control. Remember, he came to power. With the thinking or the mindset to have a kind of a, a balance, balanced sort of a, 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 a strike a, 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 a fine balance among、uh, different、uh, factions, and the Abe faction has been the largest, the most important one, with the largest member of the、uh, largest members, and his own、uh, faction, unfortunately, stood at four,、uh, with the.、Uh, The、uh, replacement with the shuffle,、uh, I think uh, the uh, now this dynamic has been changed. This balance has been changed, and for that, I would say that uh, uh, with a、uh, it it it's more some it, it it the damage is it has more damage than I think uh, 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 I mean down to Kishida's、uh, sort of uh, yeah see.、Um, Approach of、uh, governing, and also I think,、uh, in terms of the the uh, the, uh, the dynamic of、uh, Japan politics. Although、mm. Japanese politics is very much、uh, politics of faction, so、yeah. undermine or upsetting the 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 dynamic may cause、uh, some unexpected problems. I think、okay. this is the the the, the consequences where,、uh, with which.、Um, mm. 
problem okay. is the question I have to manage. Mm. So now, um, Dr. Rongying, you know better than I do because um, some people say this is representing the biggest uh, political scandal facing the LDP in some decades. They have compared this latest um, scandal or affair to the so-called recruit scandal in the late 1980s when allegations of some insider trading led to the resignation of the then Prime Minister uh, Noboru Takashita. So even though I guess the latest scandal is only pointing to a period of five years, um, some say, I think this is the point you actually raised earlier, some say the practice of concealing political funding, political money, could be more than two decades old. So do you think there is anything that is fundamentally wrong that has paved way to this latest scandal? I think definitely uh, Japanese politics has been very much plagued or has the problem of money, of the political funding, has been a big problem for Japanese politics. Remember, I think... Uh, for well, this scandal, uh, what the uh, the problem caused is is the perception that, of course, the kickbacks, the political funding, and mm. the way of reporting, under-reporting, or, no, or false reporting. And uh, literally, it is against a very important sort of law, they call the political funding control law, which was formulated back in 19, late 1940s, I mean, 47. Uh, and the idea, of course, is to make sure uh, that the political funding, I mean, this money politics, uh, I mean, at least there's some rules to follow. And at least there's fairness and the transparency. Uh, these uh, principles are there. And unfortunately, as you rightly said, the, if the past decade have seen repeated scandals related to these uh, fundings, Re repeatedly have seen that uh, these politicians are very much, I think, involved uh, with the politics. So, so, obviously, this is not the first and certainly is not the last. And what kind of a message or what kind of perception the general public, the general, I mean, of Japanese will be, I mean, assuming uh, is something very much go deeper to the Japanese politics. Mm. And... Uh, well, I would, it may be too far to say that it will fundamentally change the politics in Japan, but the money politics, the political funding issue is really the issue that mm -hmm. has been very much uh, undermined or plagued the Japanese uh, politics. Mm. So we still have about two minutes for this dialogue with you today. I mean, the LDP has ruled Japan for nearly all of the countries post the Second World War history, and actually, according to recent opinion polls over there in Japan, support for the LDP is also at its lowest point since the year 2012. So does that provide any chance for the opposition, which I guess is very much fractured, to make any inroads into this political dominance enjoyed by the LDP? I think the short answer is no. The, uh, the fact that the LDP has been ruling Japan for so many years, despite these uh, scandals and other uh, problems, does not mean uh, does not necessarily mean LDP is doing a great job. Rather, it is the opposition parties are not able to or have not been able to pose or any challenges, any serious challenges to LDP. So rather, Japanese politics, the the uh, the uh, competition or the contest rather is within uh, the party itself so diff among different factions that we have just discussed. Mm. And uh, I don't see in the foreseeable future that there are any sort of uh, competent or uh, opposition party that will be able to challenge LDP itself. Well, and at this moment, I think the Japanese politics uh, so far has shown that LDP with its own sort of uh, way uh, uh, has been able to, I mean, yeah. manage, I mean, that competition or that politics within themselves. So all largely depends on the balance or the, the trick of how they play out. Mm. Yeah.
Thank you very much. That was Dr. Rongying joining us from the China Institute of International Studies. You are listening to World Today. For more, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. We'll be back after a short break. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to approve an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. The inquiry is based on allegations that Biden has improperly benefited from the business dealing of his son Hunter. The House voted for the investigation along partisan lines. House Speaker Mike Johnson has intensified this particular probe, accusing Biden of lying about his son's business activities. President Biden, on his part, has attacked House Republicans for wasting time on what he says is a baseless political stunt. So, for more on this issue, I earlier had a talk with Dr. Joseph Mahoney, professor of political science and international relations with East China Normal University. Um, do you think this is Republicans' retaliation for the first impeachment against the former U.S. President Donald Trump at the time? Well, you know, some people will certainly see it this way,、uh, including Democrats who believe they're being unfairly victimized, and、uh, Republicans who believe Biden is criminally culpable and getting his just desserts, and likewise、uh, Republicans who believe that Trump was victimized and that this、uh, kind of uh, uh, turnabout is、uh, fair play. Hmm. So, in order to remove a U.S. president from office, the Senate needs to convict him or her in a separate trial held in the upper in the upper house, right? So, I guess in the case of Donald Trump at the time, he was twice impeached by the House but acquitted in the Senate both times. So, with that in mind, Professor Mahoney, how far do you think this latest impeachment attempt against Joe Biden will go? Well, Democrats control the Senate.、Uh, consequently, we can be certain that even if the House ultimately votes to impeach Biden、uh, along party lines, of course, then Biden、uh, would then be acquitted in the Senate,、uh, the same way that、uh, Trump was, and, and in an earlier generation,、uh, the same way that Bill Clinton was.、Uh, but let's be clear:、uh, the vote that was just held、uh, is to start an impeachment inquiry. In other words, to start the process of formally investigating the president.、Now、my sense is that it will take several months, at least, for the investigation to find anything that might uh, warrant uh, articles of impeachment. And、uh, of course, Republicans will drag out this process as long as they can, in order to achieve、uh, maximum damage、uh, to Biden's image. Hmm. So, like you mentioned, currently we are talking about investigation, and in order to You know, to support、uh, valid investigation,、uh, there needs to be some valid evidence. So, in this regard, we understand、uh, President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has offered to testify in public to the U.S. Congress about his business affairs and business dealings. And in the meantime, he is also facing charges from the U.S. Department of Justice over allegations of nine federal tax offenses, including、uh, evasion of taxes. So, with that in mind, do you think we are likely to see any evidence emerging which might be bad news for President Biden? Well, first,、uh, we have good reason to believe there is compelling evidence against. Hunter Biden, because there were reports、uh, earlier this summer that he was ready、uh, to plead guilty to several、uh, criminal charges in exchange for lenient treatment、uh, before those efforts collapsed.、Uh, second,、uh, there was a report in the New York Times uh, again in August、um, uh, that the plea deal may have collapsed in part due uh, to uh, two whistleblowers in the Department of Justice who were involved in the investigation of Hunter Biden. Uh, who uh, formally complained that the president's son had received、uh, preferential treatment?、Uh, third,、uh, there have long been、uh, Republican allegations that President Biden has either benefited personally from his son's alleged illegal activities, or that his son has benefited from his father pr-、uh, protecting him from、uh, prosecution. So,、um, uh, uh, I think the key point here, though, is that、um, uh, so far. Um, there's no uh, evidence, uh, compelling evidence in the in the public space supporting either of these allegations, and certainly none yet 
demonstrating that uh, the president has benefited um, uh, from uh, uh, his son's uh, activities. Uh, fourth, um, now again, the, the vote to begin an impeachment inquiry would initiate the process of investigating Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, these have, and these investigations often tend to go far beyond the original scope, uh, looking for anything that can be used against the president. Uh, for example, Bill Clinton was investigated following allegations that he was involved in an illegal uh, real estate uh, scheme, uh, the so-called uh, Whitewater uh, investigations. And while those efforts uh, provided no evidence, ultimately, of, uh, of uh, such criminal activity, it did give investigators an opportunity to also ask him whether he had had an affair, uh, a sexual affair with a White House intern mm. named uh, Monica Lewinsky. Now, he said that he, that he had not, uh, and it turns out uh, they had compelling evidence or physical evidence that he had, and therefore they were able uh, to uh, uh, get articles of impeachment because he lied uh, to those investigators. Uh, But, you know, again, he was also not convicted in the Senate. Um, uh, So the bottom line here is that uh, Republican investigators will be on a fishing trip and will try to catch whatever uh, they can. And uh, as to what they might catch, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Hmm. So realistically speaking, Professor, how much of a blow do you think this this uh, impeachment attempt will deal to the image of uh, Joe Biden when the United States is heading into the 2024 election cycle? Well, it certainly won't help him. Um, and if the, if the investigation um, re- reveals something damaging, then it will definitely hurt him. Um, the fact of the matter is that U.S. voters are highly polarized and Biden has uh, low approval ratings. Um, uh, we, we saw figures just this month um, uh, from a couple of days a, a couple of days ago that uh, among all voters, uh, he, his approval rating is around 40%, and among Democrats, it's around uh, 59%, which is uh, low on both uh, counts. Uh, of course, uh, the Republicans will turn this investigation into political theater, and um, uh, this in and of itself will be damaging in many, in many respects, as they manipulate uh, the news cycles and sequence the hearings to inflict, again, maximum damage in the months leading up to the election in November. Now, um, uh, given uh, the two impeachments um, uh, of Donald Trump uh, the, the, when he was president and, and the several indictments that uh, Trump is currently under, um, uh, given the fact that many Republicans believe Biden fraudulently uh, stole mm-hmm. the election for Trump, uh, given the possibility that Trump and Biden will face each other again in the next presidential election, you know, each party is trying to portray the other party's leader as a criminal. Now, you know, the the, the strange thing is that the U.S. might end up with two candidates who've both been uh, impeached competing for the White House, and these might include two who could be guilty of some type of crime. Uh, the problem, of course, is that this gives U.S. voters a horrible choice to make, uh, this one or that one. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, the voting will be close either way, and whoever wins uh, will be seen as illegitimate and, and possibly even guilty of uh, some crimes uh, by around half the population, uh, thereby creating uh, bigger divisions in society mm. and further undermining confidence in the U.S. political system uh, at home and abroad. Mm. So built upon what you have elaborated, Professor, do you think uh, launching this kind of impeachment uh, trial or attempt against a sitting U.S. president during a particular presidential uh, presidential race cycle will become a new normal in the U.S. bipartisan politics? You know, I think it's already the new normal. Uh, whether or not it endures uh, years from now is hard to say. Uh, The main problem is that uh, each of the three branches of government have become dysfunctional. Uh, None of them, uh, strictly speaking, are fulfilling their constitutional responsibilities. Now, the main problem, many experts agree, is within Congress itself. Uh, Because Congress has been unable to legislate effectively, it has resorted uh, to political theater. Now, this problem is not only a fight between parties, but also within them. Uh, In other words, uh, when the Democrats uh, controlled the House during the first two years of the of the Biden presidency, they were unable to reach consensus among themselves, in many cases, uh, to advance key legislation. Yeah. And, of course, they likewise faced staunch opposition from, from House of Republicans before then losing uh, the House to Republicans uh, during the midterms. Uh, since then, you know, Republicans has, have faced the same problems, but worse, as we've seen with their trouble 
uh, with electing and keeping uh, House leaders. Now, Congress's failure has pushed uh, the executive and judicial branches to legislate through rulemaking and from the bench, uh, respectively, and none of this is working very well, uh, thereby producing more and more breakdowns in governance at the federal level. Uh, in many cases, we, we were seeing similar phenomena at the state and local level. Now, this is why so many Americans aren't happy now, and so many are confused about who they should support, when in fact uh, they have uh, very few uh, good candidates if they need to choose from. Now, this lack of choice, uh, coupled with governance failures, this is what's driving polarization and intensifying bipartisanship. And until someone can find a way to uh, break this, uh, this cycle and stop the downward spiral, it's likely to continue and we'll likely to uh, continue to see these, these kind of um, uh, impeachment games being played out uh, during uh, election cycles. Joseph Mahoney, professor of political science and international relations with East China Normal University. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. You are listening to World Today. The European Commission has unblocked 10 billion euros of Hungary's EU pandemic recovery funds frozen due to a dispute over the rule of law. The move was made on the eve of an EU summit to placate Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. For weeks, Mr. Orban has been threatening to block a particular EU plan to allocate 50 billion euros of financial aid to Kiev as well as a decision to start EU membership talks with Ukraine. Ukrainian officials insist that both the financial aid and EU membership talks are equally important to the country. So joining us now on the line is Professor Wang Yiwei, Director of the European Studies Center, Renming University of China. Thank you very much for joining us. So, do you think the unlocking of these EU money, these EU funds, will be enough to convince uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban to change his mind? Well, the EU is trying to convince the Orban. Uh, but this uh, Orban himself uh, view always just represents the many European member countries' view. Firstly, about uh, 50 billion US dollars, uh, euros. Yeah. Uh, actually, recent uh, uh, Zelensky visit the United States is supposed to get uh, uh, 60 billion US dollars uh, found, but only 200 million. So it's, it's, it's much, you know, uh, yeah. it's much less. And yeah. then some more burdens to the European side. Actually, the US uh, they can sell weapons and benefit from uh, support for Ukraine. And it's also good for the reindustrialization. But the Europeans, if you think about it, cannot defeat it, uh, Russia, how can you ask uh, this investment can turn back? It's just war to defend your values. And for the, for the membership of the Ukraine, it's more controversial among the member states. You know, Ukraine is so large country, you know, defeated, uh, if they defeat it, and then uh, make the European Union suffer in decades. So it's uh, not in short term, I don't think. Mm. So, by the way, Professor, um, I mean, when we talk about the Hungarian role within the EU, maybe some countries, maybe some particular countries within the EU didn't change their official position regarding Ukraine crisis until most recently, in, in recent months or somewhere uh, over the course of this year. But I guess uh, with regard to the Hungarian position, there has been a kind of um, a perceived uniqueness on the part of the Hungarian position since the uh, this Russia-Ukraine conflict began in February 2022. I mean, some people are pointing to Hungary's own closeness uh, economically or geopolitically with Russia. Some people are pointing to uh, a possible conflict of interests between, say, Ukraine and Hungary. I mean, the cheap imports of grain from Ukraine is definitely not welcomed in Hungary, right? So what is your observation? I don't think uh, that uh, Hungary's position is just for socialist interests uh, with uh, Ukraine or with Russia. Actually, it's because of uh, uh, Orban himself, there's a very strong leader who was, uh, you know, with a populist actually, uh, leader in Hungary. So who very brave to stay openly to uh, the European Union more uh, stressing autonomy 
uh, for the long-term uh, interest of the European people. So that, I think, he represents many countries' view, not just uh, himself and uh, Hungary. Hmm. So, by the way, when we talk about locking funds to Hungary on the basis of rule of law or judicial independence, do you think such a practice on the part of the EU can be justified? Well, EU is a political organ. You know, it's not just for justify or unjustify. Uh-huh. For instance, in Turkey applied to join European Union for decades, but the conditions are much better than many other countries, which now joined already many years. So this is for uh, the political consideration. For Ukraine, actually it's far behind to join the negotiation with the membership. But now for political correct needs, everybody you know, seems like support uh, Ukraine. Mm. So earlier you talk about um, Hungary represented many other uh, EU member countries when we talk about, say, their, their position or stance on the Ukraine crisis. Um, can you point your fingers? Can you put your fingers on some of these countries that you mentioned? Who who exactly are they? Now, for instance, uh, the Netherlands also have the election. They also have their the Dutch, uh, you know, Trump and uh, mm. the right wings and populist leaders. Now it's more popular in the European uh, states. So Hungary is not just uh, so unique, actually. Hmm. So, with regard to funding for Ukraine, apart from these hurdles within the EU, like you mentioned earlier, Professor Wan, U.S. President Joe Biden is also nowadays facing a lot of, you know, Republican hurdle within the U.S. Congress nowadays. So, if let's assume if new additional financial aids from the U.S. and the European Union were unable to be put in place immediately. How do you think that would possibly have an impact on the actual battleground over there in Ukraine? Well, uh, I think uh, if the, you are rational, uh, you really think you can defeat uh, Russia by supporting uh, you know, Ukraine. It's impossible now. So, but they cannot say openly. So why, as, as I mentioned, why they still are you know, for the, from, European, uh, from the U.S. side uh, financially and the military support of the Ukraine, because this is uh, very, uh, they want to, you know, not defeat uh, Russia. They want to weaken Russia. They want to divide it, Germany and uh, Russia's linkage. Uh, want to, uh, you know, compare with, with the Europeans, you know, reindustrialization. There's the competition between Europe and the United States. So this is not about the war. It's also about reindustrialization. Mm. So very briefly, the final question before we let you go. How? What is your expectation about this upcoming EU summit? Do you think it can reach any agreement or consensus regarding further support, further showing support to Ukraine? Well, they definitely need to support uh-huh. because this war happening in Europe. United States can, you know, uh, can let you know because the election, uh, Europe should support more financially, but membership, I don't think so. Hmm. Thank you very much. That was Professor Wang Yiwei, Director of the European Studies Center with Renmin University of China. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. The Netherlands and South Korea have announced a joint statement to formalize a chip alliance. The announcement was made during a two-day state visit to the Netherlands by South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol. South Korea says the alliance will enable these two countries to jointly respond in times of crisis in the global supply chain in the semiconductor industry. Yoon Suk-yeol's trip has been accompanied by a delegation from Samsung and SK Hynix, namely South Korea's major computer chip makers. He has toured the headquarters of Dutch semiconductor powerhouse ASML.
So joining us now on the line is Andy Mock, Technology Affairs Analyst and a Senior Research Fellow with the Center for China and Globalization. Welcome back, Andy. Great to be here, Ding Hong, with you. So, as a result of President Yoon Suk Yeol's trip to the Netherlands, we're seeing South Korean chipmakers deepening their、uh, research cooperation with ASML, the Dutch giant.、Uh, why do you think the Netherlands and and South Korea can see eye to eye with one another when it comes to building a chip alliance? Well, Ding Hong, from a purely industry perspective. Uh, these two countries have a very complementary relationship because two of the largest、uh, semiconductor manufacturers are, as you mentioned, Samsung and SK Hynix, which are South Korean companies. Now they depend、uh, very much on a key equipment supplier, ASML, which is in the Netherlands, to provide、uh, what are called lithography. Uh, machines, so the, the machines that actually etch the chips. So it makes sense that、um, these two countries, for whom semiconductors are, are a very important part of their、uh, national economies, would seek to work more closely together. But again, this is only from the perspective of the semiconductor industry perspective. There are also broader issues, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Uh, that involve global trade, global supply chains, and geopolitics.、Mm. Talking about geopolitics, for example, frankly speaking, to what extent do you think this alliance is related to China factors? Well, China certainly plays a big role here because, first of all, China is an enormous market、uh, for semiconductors, both as an end-user market. In consumer appliances and, and other uses,、uh, but it also is a very important source of value add for the rest of the world. So, from a market perspective, China is very important. But also because of the ratcheting up of tensions, the more provocative behaviors by the United States,、uh, China、uh, companies like Huawei, other technology leaders,、uh, must look for. Other options,、uh, greater supply chain resilience from a technological perspective. Now, this also can have a competitive impact on South Korean and Dutch companies as well. So, China has a very, very important role to play in how these、uh, kinds of relationships will evolve in the future. Mm. So, to some extent,、uh, chip companies from both the Netherlands and South Korea are arguably the victims of this U.S.-initiated attempt to, you know, restrict or curb the exports of chip or chip designing technology to China.、Uh, previously, all these companies, including ASML, Samsung, and SK Hynix. Had enjoyed some very healthy sales to China, business ties with Chinese counterparts. So, was that in mind, Andy?、Um, the other way around, do you see any room for, say, for 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 South Korea and the Netherlands to work together to jointly say no to this kind of practice of building small yards and fences in the global semiconductor industry? No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Ding Hong, that、uh, South Korea, the Netherlands, companies like Samsung,、uh, like ASML,、uh, if they were free from、uh, interference by the United States,、uh, would be selling to China, investing in China, and in fact,、uh, these geopolitical tensions are harming their economic prospects. And damaging the overall economies of these countries, so certainly I think there is a lot of appetite、uh, for these companies and the governments of South Korea and the Netherlands、uh, to be more free to have more independence to pursue、uh, their own good、uh, versus to sacrifice、uh, their economic interests、uh, to. Mm. Help the U.S. fight what, frankly, is is a losing battle、uh, to try to hold China back,、mm. and we have to see going forward,、uh, you know, how much that's going to change. I think more and more countries are really recognizing、uh, the cost、uh, 
of uh, following this uh, misguided and losing strategy that the U.S. is pursuing. Hmm. So I guess when we talk about this vocabulary alliance,、uh, correct me if I am wrong,、uh, but in my perception, in my you know limited knowledge. Uh, alliance is usually a concept in the realm of military and security affairs. When we talk about, say, economic ties, economic issues, they're supposed to be, you know, win-win or open, right? Partnership. We talk about now when some countries are 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 beginning to talk about and really push forward building chip alliances. Do you think there will be any consequential problems or dangers? Well, I understand. You know your definition of alliance, Ding Hong. But I also think that we see this term or this structure of alliances used in industry also.、Um, and my hope is that this alliance between South Korea and the Netherlands、uh, will actually be positive in that it's not just a commercial collaboration, but research, education.、Uh, that this could very well advance. The overall industry globally, and again, if we can move past some of these geopolitical issues,、uh, this alliance could be very good for not only these two countries, but、uh, China, the United States, and, and many other countries around the world as well.、Hmm. So, very briefly, the final question before we let you go: Do you think this joint effort by South Korea and the Netherlands to build a joint alliance、uh, in chip industry? Will face some、uh, domestic political uncertainties from the Dutch government right now because obviously the officials on the part of the Dutch side that President Yong Su Yeo met this time around, they will be they will be going out right. They are outgoing government. Well, we have to see. I mean, again, I think as long as、uh, this alliance is in the interest of these two countries and the key. Companies in the semiconductor industry,、uh, I would expect that there would be political support. Now, of course, the the big issue is what kind of interference will these countries and companies experience、uh, when they choose to pursue their own、uh, mm. economic objectives. Thank you very much. That was Andy Mock joining us from the Center for China and Globalization. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, download our podcast by searching World Today. Bye for now.